0: How's it going folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew and welcome to Christian Coffee Time where you sit down together to study the Word of God and here we are. We've made it. It's been a, quite a while uh, working our way through the Gospel of John. We're finally on the last chapter and we've been just doing a slow, just methodical walkthrough of the Gospel of John. Just taking a look at some of the things of what it says, how it's being said, and how we can apply it to ourselves. Learning how to rightly divide and pair all scriptures. Scripture, rightly dividing the word of truth. It, it's quite a study. And uh, we've spent a, a few months on this, just doing a slow walkthrough, just a couple verses at a time. Just taking a look at, at what it says, how it's being said, and then how we can apply it to the rest of scripture and then learning how to apply it to ourselves. It, it's quite a job. It, it's a lot of work, and this is something that is missing in a lot of today's Christianity and a lot of different churches where they where they teach how to just study scripture. There's a big difference between reading the Bible and studying the Bible. There are countless, countless people who read the Bible. who who read different passages regularly, very devotedly. They'll they'll read the Word of God every day, lots and lots of it, but they're not studying it. And you can read the Word of God your entire life and hardly grow at all and hardly get anywhere. It's not until you start studying it. and studying it, pairing itself with itself, combining itself with itself, like we've been doing uh, as we've been showing and teaching using the Burian method now if we could learn to just harness this spending a little bit of time every day it's not you know reading exorbitant amounts you're reading several chapters a day but it, that that's it's not wrong to do it's not wrong to do that it's that's great if you're reading large portions of scripture but You can read large portions of scripture and hardly get anything out of it. Or you could read just a few verses, just a couple little bits at a time and meditate on those things and grab a ton of information out of those. You could spend an entire lifetime on one single verse and every single time you read it, you would get something new out of it. How is that possible? Well, it's because the book is alive. It's the infinite word of God, that the scriptures are just as infinite as he is because they came from him. They came from the Lord. So if we learn to realize this, take advantage of this, really apply ourselves, we can glean so much. And so we did a very simple exposition, a very, very simple. It's like taking a a flat stone and skipping it across the surface of the water. That's basically what we did here. Uh, From time to time, however, we would dive a little deeper on on certain things. But overall, this is just a skipping of the stone across the water. We, We all need to learn individually to just stop and dive deep into the word of god doing the word studies the contextual studies and learning how to pair scripture with scripture okay it says this in the new testament is there any passages in the old testament that reflect this and learning how to how to do this how to defend the word of god with the word of god to explain the word of god by the word of god so with that we're going to dive into this last bit here and we're also going to be going into the first half of Acts chapter 1 because you can't read the Gospel of John without reading the first half of Acts chapter 1 because it just continues right into there. As, uh, As the Gospel of John chapter 21 where it ends, it kind of continues right into the first bit of Acts where we see the ascension. So you can't talk about the Gospel of Jesus Christ without talking about the ascension. So, we're going to be doing that. So, grab your Bibles, notepads and pens, grab your tea, grab your coffee. We're going to be studying the Gospel of John, chapter 21, and the first bit of Acts, chapter 1. So, I hope that you're looking forward to this. So, again, folks, if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding the context at hand, please, by all means, go ahead, ask we would be glad to hear from you. If it's not related to the topic at hand, if you could just hold that to the end of the study or to the next broadcast, we want to try to limit our rabbit trailing. Okay. Now, we're going to back up to John chapter 20, and we're going to look at verse 31 again. Alrighty. So John chapter 20, verse 31. 31 is where we're going to start, and yeah, all right. So, Gospel of John chapter 20 verse 31, but these are written. Okay, this is very important. Uh, If you're taking notes or if you're into underlining, highlighting your Bible, marking your Bible, whatever, or if you're taking notes, uh, please underline, highlight, circle, whatever, verse 31 of John 20, but these are written. We're going to be coming back to that. This is a very important verse. Uh, Underline this as well. But these are written. What? These what? But these are written. Well, if you back up verse 30, many other signs. Signs, wonders, miracles, teachings, things. Many other things. Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written. That which has been documented. That which has been documented. But these are written. What does that also emphasize? What does that also signify there? That the other things that Jesus did are not written. They weren't written down. All that is in the word of God is all that was documented. So when you go throughout the Gospels and go throughout the New Testament, go throughout the word of God, all that the Lord did that the Lord wants you to know about is that which has been written in the word of God. Why is that important? Could someone please tell me why is that important? What does that then mean? What does that then mean? But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name, that ye might believe. These are written that ye might believe, but this is enough, this is enough. And some things weren't necessary to believe, no, no, not necessarily. What this signifies is you look for example at the mystic Catholic teachings, for example, Wild Blue got it, about extra knowledge. About it they have like the the books about the the hidden years of Jesus, the lost miracles of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus childhood or all these other mystic uh, books and things that people write about about jesus went to india no he didn't jesus went to america no he didn't jesus did did all kinds of other miracles and things and he's a child no he didn't actually we talked about that so this right here is important but these are written which also is reiterated again at the end of john 21 verse 25 And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written, if they should be written. Everyone, I suppose, that even the world itself could not contain the books that that should be written. Amen. So, the very words that, that we see in the Word of God here, for example, this, these are written, if they were written meaning they weren't, they weren't, so all you need is this, the word of God is complete. Now, it also explains why the limitation on the amount of that which was documented. The the limitation on that which was documented is for a purpose that all that was written all that was documented was for a specific purpose it was it was it documented just enough things to give to give a proven doubtless example of who Jesus is to show you who he is what he did and why we should believe on him there's a reason why these things are written. These are written, in the way they are written, and what was written was for the specific purpose that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that believing you might have life through his name. So, again, you see a lot of people with the different mystic, occult, magic books, or other religions uh, uh, that that tout Uh, their special hidden knowledge and the finding lost books of Jesus, the lost years of Jesus, the lost miracles of Jesus, the lost teachings and travelings of Jesus. No, those are all nonsense. Those are all garbage. Those aren't even scripture that never happened. All those other things. The only thing that did happen is that which is written in the word of God. Okay, so it is enough. It is enough that these are written. This is enough. You don't need anything more. There are no lost books, there are no lost manuscripts, there are no lost texts. Because the Word of God is complete and preserved unto all generations, as the Word of God says. As the Lord says, His Word is above His very name, so He protects it and preserves it down through the ages, hands it down complete and finished and without corruption. It is preserved unto all generations, as it says. So, with that, we then say, very well, Lord, what is here? Is enough for me this is enough for me this is all I need to know I don't need to know all these other things. But sure there are tons of other things that Jesus did that if it were if they were written the world could not contain the books of them that really shows you how much he actually did how many thousands and thousands and thousands of thousands of miracles that Jesus did that aren't documented but this see it shows that he did those things but you don't need to know every single one of them don't need to know every single one you only need to know this the basics of what he did to prove who he is to prove who he is all right let's continue so John chapter 21 verse 1 after these things back up after what things after he showed himself to his disciples there were Thomas uh, beheld the Lord saw the nail prints in his hands and the spiral in his sides in his side and uh, Thomas says my lord and my God declaring Jesus to be Lord God? We talked about that and after these things After he showed them many other signs After these things Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the sea of Tiberias and on this wise Showed he himself and this is how he showed himself is what that means so we see the first showing, where the first revealing to his disciples, Thomas was not there. And then the second revealing of himself, showing himself when Thomas was there. And then the third time, he showed himself to his disciples again, and this is how it happened. Now, if you're into looking at the correlation between the Gospels, you also want to flip over to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, you want to see something interesting here. Now, this is how it happened. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. So a group of them there, that shows who was there. A group of them were together, and Simon Peter said unto them, I go a-fishing. I go a-fishing. Now, it's not wrong to have hobbies. It's not wrong to have interests. It's not wrong that if you're in the ministry, uh, a preacher, a teacher, an evangelist, missionary, whatever, to have other things you also do. It's not wrong to go fishing or to, you know, tinker with cars and, and as a mechanic or a carpenter or a hunter or a painter, whatever. There's other things you want to do. That some people feel guilty for some reason that, you know, that we should be devoting ourselves completely. Well. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that, but also you also do see Jesus saying to his disciples, come out apart and rest a while, come out apart and rest a while to take a break, to take a break. There is such a thing as burning yourself out. Uh, So as Murray McShane, Murray McShane, the famous preacher, is this a young guy in his 20s. He burned himself out to such a degree that he died in his 20s because he burned himself out. And uh, and as he was dying, he says, the Lord gave me a horse to ride and a message to carry, and I killed the horse. Don't burn yourself out. Just take your time. The Lord is able to work whether you walk or whether you run. It doesn't matter. So don't think that the abilities of the Lord are hinged upon your continued, you know, continued pushing forward. Don't worry about that. The Lord knows our strengths. He knows our weaknesses. Now, it's not wrong to have other things to do, but what can be wrong is how you go about it. How you go about it. Peter says, I go a fishing. Now, was there anything wrong with fishing? No. Why did he want to go fishing? Well, you look into the mind of Peter. What did he just do not that long ago he denied the lord he denied the lord three times three times he denied the lord and as it says in the gospels that even to the point of such fear he denied the lord with cursings to try to to sway the minds of the accusers that he was not of the disciples of jesus he denied the lord and then started cursing with foul language and everything, to try to convince them that he was not of Christ. Now, all of this would have been weighing on him quite heavily. Place yourself there. Imagine if you did that. Imagine if you denied the Lord three times with cursings and foul language to deny the Lord. And it says that Peter ran off and wept bitterly, begging the Lord to forgive him. All the other disciples ran away, and this was just after Peter says, I will even die for you. I will even go to death with you. And then he denies the Lord. And the Lord the Lord is put to death. Then we, people say, but but he showed himself to Peter again. He, he showed himself to the same. It was true. But to be so on fire for the Lord and to fall so hard, to fall so hard, that really weighs on the heart, on the mind. You see, Peter gave up. Peter gave up. But he, he didn't feel the fire like he used to. He says, I go a fishing. And we'll, we're going to be looking at the mind of Peter as we go through this, this chapter. Peter says, I go a fishing. They said to him, we also go with thee. Now, why also? Peter was called to be the leader of the disciples here. As Jesus called him to be the leader here. As we see, Peter was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Paul was the leader of the church of the Gentiles. Peter was not a pope. That's that's stupid. When Jesus says upon this rock. No. There's a big difference between a rock and a stone. Jesus says there are Peter which means a stone. And Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, if you do an actual study in the Greek, stone is this, an individual stone. Where in the writings of Peter, Peter says, we are all built together as a as lively stones unto a spiritual house. Jesus says, upon this rock, I'll build my church. Now, rock in the Greek means bedrock the foundation rock where you see a large area of solid rock that you can build a house on we are all stones there peter a stone jesus is referring to himself as the rock upon which all the stones are built on to build up the lively house so peter's not a pope now the point here is that is see peter is leading the others into this as well. They have no direction. Jesus is not walking with them like he used to. So what are they doing? Going back to the old ways. Going back to the old ways. They're going back to their fishing. Again, like they like they were when Jesus met them. So things are kind of resetting. Oddly. Things are resetting. Peter says, I go a fishing. They said to him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. Nothing. Now, I don't know how many fishermen are in the audience. But if you've ever gone fishing, you spend a long time casting and casting and fishing and casting and casting. And you don't catch anything. It's kind of disheartening. It's upsetting. It's frustrating. It can sometimes be angering, especially when you get tired or you've tried so hard, so long, and you get nothing. You might get the odd little nibble and a bump or something. You might catch some little worth nothing, and you throw it back, but you can't catch anything. It's very frustrating. They That night, they fished all night long and got Nothing. That's interesting as well. How when people are following the Lord and they have a hard time, they come to a point in their daily walk, in their walk with the Lord, where it just seems like things kind of just stagnate. Where you're on fire for the Lord and the fire kind of gets a little dimmer, a little dimmer, a little dimmer. And after a while, you kind of lose that oomph that the faith used to have. And you you start kind of wandering a little bit and you start, you know, putting more and more time in your entertainments and your hobbies and your interests. And you're looking at the other things in the world. You're trying to find other things to kind of encourage you and uplift you. For these ones, it's fishing. The fishing gave them nothing. The world can give you no satiation. that the pleasures of the world are only temporary, so temporary that the moment it's over, you're kind of longing for something fulfilling again. But you can't find anything. The world gives you nothing. Fishing gives you nothing. Entertainments, lifestyles, hobbies, interests give you nothing. This world offers you nothing. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, his mercies are new every morning. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Where so often due to the darkness of our own minds, of our own desires, of our own frustrations and things, it can blind ourselves to what is so clearly standing in front of us. The Lord. The Lord is right there. Now it says they're about 200 cubits away, that's only three, about 320 feet away. About 320-ish feet away, there's Jesus standing on the shore, just watching. He's watching them. How long was he standing there? We're not told. But if we take a look at Romans chapter 8 verses 38 and 39, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Doesn't matter what it is. The Lord is always with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us doesn't matter how far we go how far how deep we go how high we go doesn't matter what happens the lord will never abandon us you see the disciples also felt a kind of abandoning where they are trying to find something to do they're trying to find meaning again they were they were all tied up they're all lost they're frustrated things changed things changed and they didn't know what to do with themselves so they just kind of well, let's kind of go back to what the only thing they really know what to do, the only thing they could they really have any form of control over. They felt a loss of control. The only thing they could kind of control is that which they were familiar with, was which was the fishing. We often feel like that, feel like there's a loss of control with the Christian faith. That when things change, whether societal or individual emotional, mental, spiritual, physical, that that we kind of, you know, lose our edge. we do not not sure what to do. We get frustrated, upset. We get, get long. We think maybe something's wrong or God's angry with me or our prayers for some reason are being delayed or not answered. And And instead of diving into the depths of scripture and going to the shore to meet Christ, we just flail around in the boat, throwing nets wherever we can, trying to find answers and something to satiate ourselves, to cheer ourselves up. all the while Jesus is standing on the shore but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus how could you get so far well look at about if if you were to measure off 300 feet from where you are 300 feet away depending how good your eyes are at 320-ish feet give or take a little bit and you turn around. Could you identify someone's face facial features from over 320 feet away? You'd be hard pressed. You'd have to have Superman eyes to be able to identify. But generally, so we can drift from Christ. Not not that the that the Lord leaves us, but we can walk away from the Lord. We we can grow apathetic, apathetic to the point where we fail to remember what the voice of the Lord sounds like. That we can struggle to identify the identity, to identify when God moves, to identify who is standing right beside us, who's descending behind us, who's on the shore. And you'll be looking, looking, and you just, you don't get it because you're so occupied with this, so pulled away with something else. Who's that? they knew not that it was Jesus then Jesus calls unto them Jesus speaks the Lord can speak through the Word of God he could speak to our hearts and minds to try to get our attentions to bring us back to where we're supposed to be you see the Lord here he spent three years teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching and then something else happens Then we see the fulfillment of the gospel, of the purpose, the and why he came, the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection. He showed showed himself to them. But what did Jesus tell them before? He told them about how in John 14, 15, and 16, how a time will come where he will go back from whence he came and he will send you the comforter in his place, the Holy Ghost. He told them about that he told them a time will come i won't be walking with you like this anymore but i will not leave you comfortless i'll send you the comforter to replace me who will abide with you forever he told them that and he showed them he showed them he held their hand for three years but after a while the lord as in teaching a young child how to walk there comes a point where you take your hands off you got to teach the child how to walk how to trust you to trust that you'll catch them to trust that you'll provide for them to trust that you'll protect them to trust that you'll always be with them but the lord isn't always going to be holding our hands up like little toddlers jesus is also trying to show the disciples how to trust in him how not to fall away and become apathetic and sorry and frustrated all because he's not walking with them like he used to Things will change. You grow and mature in the Christian faith, and you learn how to walk in faith, believing. We aren't toddlers in Christ. We're supposed to mature, mature, to go out and preach and teach and witness. We learn to eat the meat of the word, and no longer it's the, it's the milk of the word. We grow in the Lord and the power of his might. We put on the armor and we fight for the Lord. But look what jesus says look what jesus says these ones he he gave them a chance here where he took his hands off he wasn't with them and the moment jesus wasn't with them like he used to be what happened to them they completely fell apart the disciples completely fell apart what does jesus say then jesus saith unto them children have ye any meat They answered him, no, (laughs) there is so much emotion, there is so much passion in that no, that no other words, nothing else, no explanations, there was no discourse, it was just one single sharp, blatant, very significant no. They went all night. They're tired. They're worn out. They're frustrated. They're angry. It's been a long night. They're hungry, hangry. No. Did you find anything on your own? Did you catch anything to satiate you? Is there anything of the world that can pleasure you and give you fulfillment? After a while, you know, the Lord can can let us go in our own wanderings. If we get so frustrated, so apathetic, like the prodigal son. It comes a point where you're just tired and fed up with the pig pen because it doesn't fulfill you. Sin is pleasurable for a season, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And the prodigal son gets up and returns. Didn't find anything. It wasn't worth it. It's not worth it. They answered him, no. And then Jesus does something where the Lord all throughout the word of God shows us again and again how the Lord reminds us, brings up the remembrance of the past. Shows us how he's helped us, causes sudden remembrances of every single time the Lord has provided for you, how the Lord has taught you. Look where you are from where you were just a few months ago look at look at your devotional life look at your study look at your prayer life look at how the lord has helped you in job and family and friends and ministry and look at all the things the lord has done for you the lord reminds you of how he called you what he saved you out of who you are now compared to who you were before you were saved the lord reminds the lord works in the remembrance of answered faith Go back to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, is walking by this one area and there's this huge group of people. In Luke chapter 5, and it came to pass that as the people pressed on him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets who are the fishermen the same ones and saw two ships and the fishermen were washing their nets and he entered into one of the ships which was Simon's Simon Peter and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship now when he had left speaking he said unto Simon Launch out into the deep and let down your nets, plural, nets, plural, for a drought. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we've toiled all night and have taken nothing. Same thing's happening again. Peter and all them were out and they fished all night, caught nothing. Coincidence? We have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Singular. Jesus said, Let down the nets. Peter says, I'll let down the net. Singular. Plural. Singular. And when he and when, and when they had had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners which are in the other ship that they should come and help them and they came and filled both ships so that they began to sink when simon peter saw it he fell down at jesus knees saying at jesus knees saying depart from me i am a sinful man o lord interesting that happened at the beginning of jesus ministry when he called the disciples go back to john 21. jesus standing on the shore sees the disciples and they were fishing all night long and caught nothing just like luke five just like when jesus first called them they caught nothing jesus says we caught anything they answered no then he says what he says cast the net singular cast the net on the right side of the ship and you shall find They cast, therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, it is the Lord. Something is very familiar here. Deja vu. Deja vu. What's going on? So you see what Jesus did. How did he call them? What, what did he show them to prove who he was so that they'd be so inclined to be interested in him and want to follow him? The net and the fish, and they caught nothing, and the, that whole scenario. What did Jesus just enact here? The same thing. Why? So they might remember why they followed Jesus in the first place. So they would remember. Suddenly, recollection. What is, what is more powerful than... Doubt, fear, and depression. The joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is so powerful, so strong, so sharp, it cuts through all depression, all heaviness, all fear, all doubt, all anxiety and stress and everything else. And it just causes you to just remember simple, basic, believing faith. That I'm a sinful man. Look what Peter said to Jesus when that happened in Luke 5. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man. The Lord knows. He knows that you're incapable. The Lord knows that you're weak. The Lord knows you're going to fail again and again and again and again and again and again. The Lord knows that He's going to be hearing you saying, Oh Lord, forgive me for this again. He knows this. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your He knows your strengths. He knows all things about you he knows the future he knows the past he knows the infinite present he knows every single thing it's not our strength or our abilities anyways that's irrelevant it's not about your trying and striving it's about believing and trusting and having faith that the lord is able to use the absolute mess of you of me he knows our absolute chaotic messes he knows that he just wants you to remember him, trust in him. That when things get difficult, hurl yourself upon him and not on the things of the world. It's not wrong to have hobbies and interests, but when those hobbies and interests start start becoming your scapegoat, when they start becoming your knee-jerk reaction, that when things go bad, instead of going to the word of God and prayer and fasting and devoting to the Lord, you go, you go more and more and more into the things of the world. You try to find comfort in the arms of the world and the arms of Christ. You cast your net in Christ. You cast your net in believing faith. You cast your net on the right side of the ship. You listen to how the Lord, you ask the Lord, where do you want me to cast the net? What do you want me to do? Lord, what do you, what do you want from me? And then wait for the Lord to answer. They cast, therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. The moment they listened to Christ, they found all that they needed. The moment they listened to Christ. You might be in a state of fear, doubt, heaviness, whatever. You may be may not know what on earth to do in this crazy world. What does the Lord say? It might be so simple, you might not be listening, paying attention. But I've I've done that. I've read that. I've prayed. But did you ask the Lord to help you? To did you ask the Lord to speak to you? Did you wait long enough for the Lord to answer? Are you trying to hurry the Lord? Or you trying to listen to the Lord while you're clanging the pots like Martha? You need to come apart and rest a while. Sit down. Stop everything. Come apart and rest a while, says the Lord. Get away from everything. Turn off the stupid idiot box of television. Mute all the notifications on your phone or unplug the phone or whatever. Get away from everything. Lock yourself away in a room and just sit down with your Bible and pray and talk to the Lord and stay there until heavens, till the heavens move. Cast the net on the right side of the ship and you shall find. They cast, therefore. They obeyed, they listened, they obeyed, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. The multitude of answers, the multitude of helps. This is our ship. We cast our net of faith upon the word of God. And we'll draw up such a draft of fish, such a draft of answers, of such help and comfort and wisdom and knowledge and power. It'll be overwhelming the sheer amount everything you ever need is right here and it is the first thing we neglect this this has an answer for absolutely every single thing we could ever think of or run into or or wonder about and it's the first thing we neglect we leave it standing on the shore or we're not listening to the point where we no longer recognize its power we no longer recognize the facial features of our Lord even though he's he's shown himself multiple times, we neglect it again and again and again and again. And we're out there casting nets everywhere in philosophies and psychology and commentaries, catechisms, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everything else—family, F- friends, coworkers, jobs, entertainment, lifestyles, hobbies, interests. We don't find help and comfort, and we just get more depressed and more depressed and more stressed and more anxious, more frustrated and all the while the answer is just standing on the shore something so simple we can spend years lifetimes even trying to find where to cast the net and it's just staring us in the face the entire time simple believing faith now Interestingly, compared to when Jesus first called the disciples in Luke chapter 5, the exact same thing, the exact same thing happened when Jesus called them. Jesus hit the reset button. Jesus hit the reset button. And he did the exact same thing. And in that moment, it's it's incredible the power of the mind. How in in a Split second. The mind can go through years of experiences. In conversations and and experiences and circumstances and situations and and, and encounters. Everything that that we've experienced in the past several years. The mind can go all through that in just a split second. And in that second where, where they have the net and they're staring at the sheer amount of fish. All of a sudden it's like their life flashed before their eyes jesus walking with them laughing with them teaching them healing them healing others Jesus with the with the disciples. Jesus debating with the Pharisees. Jesus all down there, all the things he did, and how he did this. He did this before when he first called them, and they remember, and they remember, and therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, "You can bet anything that John just gr- grabbed Peter, grabbed him by the It's the Lord. It is the Lord. He says that's all he says. It is the Lord. What's the answer? It is the Lord. What helps you? What's the answer to prayer? Where do we go? It is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that, Simon Peter, a little slower, a little thicker than the others, when he heard John say this, Peter recognized that Peter. it all clicked into place. And suddenly the light bulb moment. And Peter realized, and he remembered, oh yeah now peter in desperation in desperation because of what he had done in denying the lord and curses and those denying the lord running away from the lord in fear of the jews peter heard that it was the lord he girt his coat upon him for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea now naked just that not like bare naked they weren't bare naked is that they would take off their regular cloaks because they would get all wet from the fishing or or, or all sweaty and they're wearing their loincloth thing while they're out in the boat he wrapped his coat on him for he was naked and, did, and cast himself in the sea he didn't even wait he didn't even wait for the time it would take for the boat to get to shore now some some people it takes them longer to return it takes them longer to return to the lord that they want to deal with things and work at things they want to try to make themselves acceptable and they take their time coming back what the lord wants us to do is to step out of the boat peter didn't care if suddenly he was going to be able to walk on the water again like jesus like you do with jesus that one time Peter didn't care if he'd sink. He didn't care what was going to happen. He was getting to Christ no matter what. He threw himself into the sea to get to the shore, to get to Jesus. He left everyone else behind. It doesn't matter what other people are doing. It doesn't matter how other Christians are walking. It doesn't matter. Ignore everyone else. How's your walk? Are you John or are you Peter? How would you describe your relationship with Jesus Christ? How would you describe your prayer life, your devotional life? How would you describe your Christian walk with Christ? Where are you? What side of the boat are you casting the net? Where are you casting the net? How how are you returning to the Lord? How long are you going to dilly-dally around and just taking your time coming back how long is it going to take before you finally get to shore peter hurled himself into the sea cast himself into the sea and the other disciples came in a little ship for they were not far from the land but as it were 200 cubits dragging the net with fishes peter swam to the shore and sat with Christ and was sitting with Christ while the others worked their way, took their time, gathering up the fish and doing all the other things while they're slowly coming back. It doesn't matter how others are, are going. You want to pay attention to you. And as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there. A fire of coals. That's interesting. Where have we heard that before? Do you remember the story of Elijah? When Elijah, after the big Mount Carmel battle with the prophets of Baal, and he defeated the prophets of Baal, he called upon the Lord and uh, and brought in the rain to end the the famine and the drought. And then he outran Ahab's chariot by the power of the Lord. That's where the saying Godspeed came from is uh is elijah outrunning ahab's chariot and so all of these great great huge miraculous events happen and then elijah gets to the city just in time to hear jezebel losing her mind and screaming and ranting and in her her witchcraft screeches because elijah defeated her she got all angry threatening to murder elijah so elijah ran ran out in the wilderness in fear <laughs> huge victory huge victory huge victory sudden depression you wear yourself out Elijah ran out in the wilderness all fear for his life and and fearful and depressed and angry and he sat down and says Lord just let me die. I just want to die. I'm done. I'm worn out. I want to give up. No one cares. No one's listening. It's all to nothing. It's not availing anything. No no matter where I cast my net, nothing happens. He says, Lord, just let me die. And Elijah sat down under the tree and gave up. Fell asleep. Well, I'm glad the Lord's not a quitter like we are. So the Lord comes down and is standing there. We are not told how long he stood there beside Elijah. Elijah slept. The Lord started a little fire. It was a fire of coals. And by the fire of coals, the Lord baked Elijah a little cake of bread. Elijah wakes up. And the Lord says, have something to eat. So Elijah grabs some of the food and has some some of the food, and the Lord tells him to have a rest. Never ever excuse the power of a snack and a nap. (laughs) The Lord says, shut up, have a snack, have a nap, you'll be better. So Elijah had a snack, had a nap, and he felt better. But the point here is the fire of coals. So what the Lord is showing here, the Lord does the same thing. See, we we look so often for new things, a new answer, a new way of thinking, a new explanation. But you see, the thing is, the Lord doesn't change. His word doesn't change. The way of the Lord doesn't change. We sometimes get so used to the way that the Lord works, we grow tired of it, we want something new. A time will come they can no longer abide sound doctrine and they heap themselves teachers having itching ears and they and they are turned into fables. And so often people get bored with the word of God. They get bored with the Christian faith. They get bored with the way things are. They want something new they want some new thing they want a new excitement they want something to stir this up because they get so jaded they get so jaded so used to so apathetic to, to these they want something more but the lord he encourages us the same way he always has with his word with the way he is god works in the same way with everybody the same way same word of the same spirit of the same lord of the same christ the same cross of the same gospel. Uh, the Lord speaks to us the way he spoke to the prophets. He speaks to us the way he spoke to the disciples and to the early church. He speaks to us the same way, the same words, the same spirit of encouragement, the same joy of the Lord and the remembrance of the Lord's works. He bakes a fire of coals. Can the Lord do that for us? Yeah. That when your fire burns out, He'll stoke it again, and again, and again, and again, because the Lord's not a quitter. We are. The Lord does not abandon us. We do. The Lord doesn't give up. We do. The Lord cannot be defeated. We can. We cannot lose our salvation. We can lose our faith. But the Lord holds on to us even though we've given up. We, we get so fed up, we just let go. What's the point? And the Lord's still holding on. We, uh, we kinda, we've let go of the cliff edge, so to speak. We expect to plummet. And we look up and there's a hand grabbing hold of our shirt. The Lord says, I'm not letting you go anywhere. Here, come have an, a snack and a nap. Feast upon the bread of life. You drink of the water of life. May not be a banquet you need, but just a little nibble of something. Just have a little piece of bread, something just to, just to get your get your energy up, just to get your sugar up a little bit, just get your energy up, just to liven you up just a little bit so that you can start to see clearly. You start to see clearly. We're a bottle in the smoke. That phrase is so powerful As uh, the scriptures talk about how we are a bottle in the smoke. where a bottle in the smoke, where it gets all sooted, it's it all dirty, it gets all blackened from all the soot and the creosote and the smoke, where the bottle looks like it's no use, it's garbage. you might as well throw it away. Why? The inside of the bottle uh, inside of the bottle is perfectly fine. It's untouched. The inside of the bo- bottle is perfectly fine. We think it's useless. And the Lord says, but the inside of the bottle's fine. Just wash it. This, if you, you take your finger, just wipe away just one little spot here. You can see it's perfectly fine. We get so taken with the creosote of the world of flesh, the smoke of sin, the smoke of hell. The smoke of all the things around us blind us and sting our eyes so that we can't see. But if we would just sit down, relax just for a moment and just clear our heads and just wait a moment, we could start to see clearly. You see, the power of sitting down, stop pushing forward. Come apart, and rest alone, sit down for a while, take a rest, rest in Christ. Sit at the feet of Jesus. Stop running. Catch your breath. Stop freaking out. Be still and know that I am God. Watch God work. You see, the Christian faith has forgotten that one as well. Is just relaxing in Christ. It doesn't mean relaxing to the point where you stop working. But, you know, as every job, you have your break time. You have your lunch hour. For the Christians, we need to realize the time of resting in Christ. Where on the battlefield, you don't just keep swinging and swinging and swinging and swinging and swinging until you die. Is There's shifts where one group of soldiers will be fighting for a while, and then, and then the reinforcers will come, and these ones can back off and catch their breath. Well, these ones take up, and you switch out, switch out, switch out. That's the, the power of just switching out. And the other disciples came, dragging the net with fishes. And as soon as they were come to the land they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fish, going to show how Peter was a very strong guy. Peter drew the net to land full of great fish and 150 and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. The net didn't break this time because they obeyed the Lord. Jesus said to them, come and dine. Come and dine. You feed others. You serve the Lord and working and, and working away and serving away. Don't neglect your own feeding." You see, we can get so caught up in ministry, so caught up in evangelism and outreaches and helping others and praying for others and working for others and charity and all these other things and busy, 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 busy. We forget that we need to be fed too. You can work yourself to death. You can starve yourself to death not knowing that you are. As you work so much, you forget to pray. As you start slacking off or shortening your prayer time, shortening your own devotional time, shortening your own feeding time, come and dine. This is a big failing of many preachers, many evangelists and many missionaries. You get so caught up in ministry and working and serving, you shorten your own time come and dine and none of the disciples durst ask him who art thou knowing that it was the lord now they understood they are on the shore now they are on solid footing they weren't rocking to and fro like james 1 6-7 but let him ask in faith nothing wavering for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the lord have you caught anything no You're praying and praying and praying. Have have any of your prayers been answered? No. Have you found what you're looking for? No. Are you encouraged yet? No. You need to come to dry land. You need to get out of the boat and go on the solid rock. Stand on the solid rock. Sit down where the Lord has prepared a fire for you. He has prepared food for you. He has prepared comfort and shelter for you. Rest a while until you're encouraged and you're filled and and you're satiated in Christ. You're encouraged and strengthened. Then he strengthens the feeble knees. He strengthens the ankle bones. He lifts high the hands which hang down. He gives you breath. He gives you the voice. He gives you power. And then you can proceed. As you go out, You work in the field a while, come out and rest, get something to eat. Go back out in the field for a while, come back, rest, and eat. Come and dine. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. After that, he was risen from the dead. Trying to help them to understand how how to rest in him when he's not around like he used to be. What do you do when it seems like the Lord is not with you? Even though he is, you just can't see him, but he is. The spirit of the Lord dwells in the heart of every believer. Sometimes we get so just physical that all because I can't see it, therefore determines to me my doctrines and my personal beliefs and i think that god isn't with me because it seems like you see the devil is a master of it seems like it seems like it seems like but seeming is not fact. feelings ideologies and experiences aren't facts what did the lord say all because you can't see him doesn't mean he's not with you all because he's not you can't see him doesn't mean he doesn't see you All because you can't see him doesn't mean that he can't help you. He dwells in the heart of every believer. We got to depend on fact of the word of God and not personal feelings and seemings. Verse 15. Now, when they had dined, you see the Lord doesn't, the, the Lord takes his time here. He lets them eat first before the teaching. They're worn out. They're tired. Their sugar's low. They're hungry. They're, they're thirsty. He lets them rest. He gives them encouragement. He gives them encouragement. He shows them mercy. He shows them grace. He shows them love. He shows them comfort. He comforts them and encourages them. He builds them up before the teaching. See, don't be quick to run to the heavy things if you're worn out. If you're worn out, have a sip of the milk before the meat. So you see how the Lord actually waits and delays in the deeper things, and the heavier things, until they were encouraged and they had already eaten. When they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these. Now, if we actually take some time here and do a study on the Greek and the Hebrew, Old Testament Hebrew, New Testament Greek, do a study on the words, the word love. Now, we have one word for love in the English language, and that is love. But in the Greek, in the Hebrew, there are multiple meanings, meaning different aspects, levels of types of love. So there's a different word. So Jesus asked Peter three times, lovest thou me? Now, it's interesting when we do a study on the words here. That when After they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? More than what? Now, if we take a look at the meaning of the word love in verse 15 and 16, it's the same word, agape. Agapeo. Now, agapeo means to love, as in, you know, how you would love a hobby. You love fishing. You love your friends, acquaintances, kind of thing. Lovest thou me more than these? Meaning the fishes, the fishing. He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. Verse 16. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Again, agapea. Which, again, now this is implying friends and family. He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Feed the little things, feed the big things. Then, verse 17, something happens here. Now, people say Jesus said this three times this way because Peter denied the Lord three times. Well, that's an application. That's an application. We are not told that's specifically, explicitly why Jesus said this three times, but it just seems to apply fairly well there. Verse 17, he saith to them the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me not? Phileo is an entirely different. Jesus doesn't say, Peter, agapao thou me. Do you love me as you would love family and friends and love me the way you love your fishing? He says something different. Peter, lovest thou me? The word is phileo. Phileo means something else. That's a self-sacrificing love. Self-sacrificing love. Do you love me more than yourself? Peter was grieved, because he said unto him the third time, Phileo, thou me. Do you love me more than yourself? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest that I thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I agapeo, thou you. I agapeo thee. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. You see, the problem is Peter doesn't know what to think. Peter is so taken with himself, so self-degrading, he fears his own abilities. He's no longer impulsive, Peter. You notice the change here? We're at the Last Supper. Peter pipes up, I will never deny thee. I will never leave thee. I will even go to death for thee. Peter's so impulsive, so speaks before thinking And then he runs away and it denies the Lord. And now we see Peter, an entirely broken Peter. Entirely broken. He's no longer impulsive. He no longer has his impulsivity. He is so degrading of himself. And he he doesn't even feel worthy. And Jesus says, do you love me more than yourself? And Peter just doesn't know what to think. And so, but what does Jesus say? Jesus knowing all things. Jesus says in verse 18, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thine hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. Jesus actually helps Peter. Helps Peter to, to get away from this heaviness that's upon him to help Peter by showing Peter something that you may think that you don't but in fact you will love me with the greatest love anyone ever could you actually will give your life for me you actually do love me with a self-sacrificing love because how did what happened to peter what happened to peter well i just want to just rabbit trail here just for a moment Peter, as it says here, thou shalt stretch forth thine hands, and another shall gird thee. Meaning, you're going to be crucified. Peter was crucified at at the end of his life. Now, I just want to mention something here. What is commonly thought and commonly believed is that Peter was crucified uh, on an upside down cross. That's not true. That never happened. That is Roman Catholic propaganda. That's Roman Catholic superstition. That's Roman Catholic teaching. That's according to their what their, their beliefs, but that's not true. Peter was not crucified on an upside down cross. It doesn't even say that or anything. It just says, you'll stretch with thine hands, a traditional crucifixion. Now, that's, uh, that's adding to the Bible, that Peter felt, uh, felt you know, that he just wasn't worthy to, to be crucified like Jesus. So he asked them to crucify him upside down, so they honored his request. and just, that's, that's not even scripture. That's not true. That did not happen. Because the actual history of the uh, inverted cross, the upside down cross, as I've done research on that uh, years ago, and here's something here. Peter did not get crucified on an inverted cross that's purely based on Roman Catholic myth. It's their own fabricated history, like all of their stories. They made up a ton of stuff. Catholicism is a made up cult from the uh, the 300s AD, and they've created a ton of nonsensical lore. The inverted cross came from the 1000s, 1000 AD, uh, when the vikings believe it or not when the vikings were invading britain in the 1000s now the vikings wore a a pendant based on the uh norse mythology of the norse lore they worship the norse gods and Thor being one of them, and the worshipers of Thor, the the Vikings, as the Greeks had a pantheon where each god was for a specific thing, and Thor, one of the pantheon of the Norse gods, was the god of war and battle, so they would wear the icon of Thor when they would go into battle, which was a hammer. And they would wear a hammer, now the, the, the string or the chain would come down and would attach to the base of the handle and the hammer head would be down here. So it's an upside down hammer, the symbol of Thor. They wore the hammer of Thor with the string looped through the handle and the hammer head hung down. Now the Brits could not defeat them in battle and so started another thing where they would actually try to defeat the Vikings by proselytization. Where they would convert the Vikings to Catholicism, and it started working. So they, they they converted so many. After a while, they converted them to Catholicism, and many of the Vikings wound up converting to Catholicism. Believe it or not, that and the the rest of them didn't know what to do because now their military force has been so weakened. So so shortened because so many had left and been converted to Catholicism that that the Catholics told them you either convert or die. So what did they do? Many wound up converting and the rest decided to to join out of fear instead of just being slaughtered and killed. But they did not want to give up their their natural native religion. So they did something else out of rebellion. They fashioned the Thor hammer into an inverted cross, and it was called the cross of Peter, but actually, it's a symbol of rebellion, which is commonly known as the Satanists cross. The Satanic church took the inverted cross of Thor, which is the hammer of Thor, as the symbol of great rebellion, as the symbol of rebellion. The inverted cross is a is a symbol of silent rebellion. The Catholics called it Peter's cross as a way to justify these Vikings coming to them. But in fact, it was the rebels' cross is what it's called. It's called the rebels' cross, and the Satanists took it and it adopted it since as their own symbol. Peter was not crucified on in an inverted cross. That's Catholic propaganda. He was crucified like all the rest were crucified. And the inverted cross is the Satanist cross, which is the actual hammer of Thor, where the Vikings actually say Jesus was nailed to a cross and Thor holds the hammer. So that whole symbol that's what that all symbolizes. So it's it's a it's a blasphemous thing, it's a heretical thing, and the inverted cross is satanic. Always has been. Now Jesus says to Peter here. When thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thine hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee, whither thou wouldest not. Meaning, carry thee to the grave, you're going to die. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. He will glorify God with this. So this shows he will give his life willingly for the Lord. Self-sacrificing love. When when you come to the Lord in heaviness, and you're not sure what to do, and you feel absolutely just horrible, and you feel weak, and you, you just... You're not you feel like you're not worthy. The Lord reminds you that, well, you aren't worthy. That's why it's by grace. You aren't capable. That's why we, we walk by faith and not by sight. Because every step we take, we fall flat on our face. But a righteous man falls seven times and rises again. It doesn't matter how many times you fall, it's about how it's about how you rise. It's about getting back up. Forgetting the things of the past. I press on to the mark, to the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I ignore what's happening. I look at Christ. He gives me the strength to continue. He gives me strength to live, strength to stand. He gives me strength to die. He gives me strength to crucify the flesh with the affections and lust thereof. To walk in the spirits, so I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. It gives me strength to fight against myself day after day after day after day. That that every day is a battle. Forgetting the things of the past, I take I, I, I take no thought of the morrow. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. We have enough evil in one day. I don't need to bring evil from the next. And that the evil of one day does not carry into the next because his mercies are new every morning. Every day is new. And after he had said these things after he had spoken this he saith unto them follow me. Now how do you follow Christ? How do you follow Christ? Well, that's different for every person as our our own walks are different than everyone else. It's not a cookie cutter religion as every single individual is completely different. Nobody's perfect. Everyone has flaws, everyone has weaknesses, everyone has incompetencies. Everyone has their own heavinesses and depressions. Everyone has their own sins. Everyone everyone has the sin that death so easily beset them, has their own sins that they can't defeat. Everybody has problems. But in all of this, follow Christ. The Lord knows. The Lord knows what you struggle with the lord knows your weaknesses don't beat yourself up to the point where you don't follow christ anymore follow him regardless doesn't matter who or what you are you could be an absolute reprehensible mess follow christ it doesn't matter if you have nothing left to live for follow christ but i have nothing to give him give him your heart give him each breath. Give him the ticks of the clock. Just wait out the clock. If that's all you can do, then that's all you do. Then that's what you do. Wait out the clock. Give him this second. Give him this second. Give him this second. Give him this second. Meditate in the word of God. If you don't know what to do, sit down, meditate on the word of God. Follow Christ. That's all you got to remember. Follow Christ. But the, the world could be burning itself to hell is what a nation forgets God it's turned to hell it's what it says in Psalm 917 when all the world's burning up like Sodom and Gomorrah the fire and brimstones falling follow Christ all your whole world could be going up in smoke and flame follow Christ like Shadrach Meshach and Abednego walking in the burning fiery furnace they followed Christ in the fire they walked with Christ in the fire When the fires of hell seem to be consuming your life, walk in it like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Follow Christ in the fire. Follow Christ in the lion's den. Follow Christ in the valley before Goliath. Follow Christ. Then Peter, turning about, see the other disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, who is it that betrayed thee? Peter seeing him, Say it to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? What about this person? What about them? Peter has a lot to learn, as we all do. There's a lesson here that Peter's going to learn here in a second that we all need to learn. You know what that is? Leave others alone. Don't compare your life to someone else's. But they seem to have it all wired up. They seem to be doing so well, so strong. Yeah, that's what you see. You don't see what their life is like behind closed doors. You don't see them on their knees in their bedroom, uh, weeping and begging the Lord to help them and have mercy on them because they're struggling. You don't see their sins. You don't see their failings. You don't see their incompetencies, which every single Christian has. Don't compare your walk with other people's walks. Well, we'll look at the walk of the pastor. You don't see him weeping and crying because of his failings and his incapabilities. Every single Christian has that. It doesn't matter what they're doing. It doesn't matter what's happening to them. Don't compare your life to someone else's. Every single Christian is an absolute failing basket case really we are we're absolute just flailing children trying to convince others that we know what we're doing that that, that's all we are We're, we're, we're completely lost children trying to make other people think we know what we're doing some people are just better at deceiving others and putting on a better face than others not deceiving but Some people are just better at putting on a better face it doesn't matter what's going on in another person's life they have their own problems they have their own troubles their own problems you focus on you you focus on you you follow Christ you follow Christ Peter says well, what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, verse 22 Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. It doesn't matter. Ignore him. It doesn't matter what's going on in his life. It doesn't matter what I'm doing with him. His blessings are different than your blessings. His strengths, his weaknesses are different than yours. You can't compare yourself to Peter. You can't compare yourself to John. Every person's different, everyone's walk is different. But everybody's walk is guided by the same guide it's the same lord same christ same words same faith same spirit same scriptures it's the same cross we just come at different angles we just come down different angles someone comes from a very dark place from a very dark background some person comes from a very easy path. This person has to come up over hills and mountains. This person comes through a desert. This person comes through an ocean. This person comes through a death valley. This person comes through something else. This person uh, grew up in a Christian home and they never really fell felt any bed. This person grew up in a very satanic household. Who knows what? This person grew up, If comes from Islam. This person comes from Buddhism, but they all come to the same cross, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and are led by the same spirit. We all have different backgrounds, different struggles, and different problems and plaguings of the mind. It doesn't matter. what, What is that to thee? Don't compare your life to others. What is that to thee? This is the disciple which testified. John then talks and explains something here. He says, then went this saying abroad amongst the brethren that this disciple should not die. Uh, there, there actually is a um, a crazy, <laughs> a crazy sect out there of some people who actually believe that the Apostle John is still alive today. Um, No. Sorry to burst your bubble, but John died. John died. John is not still alive today. As he says, then what the saying abroad amongst the brethren that this disciple should not die yet jesus said not unto him he shall not die but if i will that he tarry till i come what is that to thee now some people think that means till i come as in the second coming of christ no jesus didn't say that until i come again to john when did jesus come again to john revelation John was praying, and Jesus came to him and manifested to him and then showed him all the things about the end times. So, context, context. This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things. There it is again. Many other things. Just like at the end of chapter 20. But these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. And then he says again, there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written, everyone, if they, if they should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. So many things that Jesus did. But it is sufficient, but a sufficient amount, an amount that is enough, was written in the word of God that can prove beyond measure who Jesus is, what he did, and why, and why you should believe in him. Now, it doesn't end there. Uh, we've just finished the Gospel of John. We're going to skip into the first bit, uh, the first half of Acts chapter 1 to finish this up because you can't read the Gospel of John without reading about the Ascension. So we've got to read about the Ascension of Jesus Christ. We've got to finish the story. So we're going to go from Acts chapter 1 verse, verse 1 to verse 11. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So Jesus walked uh, walked with them for forty days. So Jesus crucified, buried, rose again, and from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, To the ascension of Jesus Christ, what does it say? 40 days. So he was with them for 40 days. How many people could see Jesus in 40 days? How much proof could there be shown, taught, explained, experienced about Jesus in 40 days? A lot. People will be running everywhere, explaining everywhere, exclaiming everywhere, Jesus risen. Uh, we've seen him, we've seen him. I've seen him, I've seen him. I've seen him. Uh, thousands of people have seen him and know about this. Forty days. That's a lot. Speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. Which is what? John chapter 14. Go back to John chapter 14. Jesus says, But the, uh, these things I have spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. What did Jesus say in verse 18 of John 14? I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Ephesians three seventeen. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Okay. Now. For the baptismal regenerationists, read this, Acts chapter 1, verse 5, For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. What is the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Sorry, charismatics, that's not referring to speaking in tongues. Go to Titus chapter three, verse five, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, baptism of the Holy Ghost, which is what the washing of regeneration, which is what the forgiving of your sins, your salvation. Ephesians one 13, when you trust in and believe the gospel, you're sealed by the spirit of promise has nothing to do with tongues. Tongues is not a sign of salvation. We're actually, in 1 Corinthians 14, it says tongues are for a sign for the unbelievers, not the believers. Just saying. So, salvation is by grace through faith, by belief alone. And when you believe on the Lord God, Jesus Christ, for salvation from your sins, you're sealed by the Spirit of God who cleanses you, washes you, seals you. That's it. No water has nothing to do with it. It's not baptismal regeneration. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Titus 3, 5. So if you're into uh, underlining, highlighting, or marking in your Bible, could you write in the reference uh, bar, or if you have room, if you can't, it's okay, uh, just put Titus 3.5. So Acts 1 verse 5 about the baptism of the Holy Ghost, put Titus 3.5. You want to refer to that. Okay. So the baptism of the Holy Ghost now is the sealing of the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost comes upon them. Because again, this is entirely different. Uh, compared to uh, uh, previously. Where we see in the Old Testament where David says, uh, praise of the Lord said, Lord, take not thine Holy Spirit from me. You see, the dispensation of the Old Testament versus the dispensation of the New Testament is, in, is completely different. Where in the Old Testament, before, the, uh, before the, the crucifixion of Christ, we see before the ascension of Christ, before Pentecost, Okay, so it actually goes up to Pentecost Jesus is referring to Pentecost before Pentecost This is the Old Testament dispensation where the Holy Spirit would come upon an individual for a period of time and then leave as the Prophet Would walk in service and devotion unto the Lord waiting for the time when the Spirit of the Lord would come upon them And they would prophesy and speak of the future and speak the words of God and all these things And they'd write the books and stuff, seven and the Spirit of God would leave and would depart and would come upon someone else Jesus promises and john 14 is the gift of the holy ghost is the sealing of the spirit where the spirit of god would come upon you and would never leave that's also proof of once saved always saved so we see right there the sealing of the spirit of god that comes it comes upon the heart of every believer when you believe in the lord jesus christ you are the spirit of god permanently and he doesn't leave and you go to romans chapter 8 verses 38 and 39 for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That means there's nothing you could possibly do to cause the Holy Spirit to leave you. It doesn't matter if it's if it's demon or demon, devil, sin, hell, world, flesh, self. Others doesn't matter what it is. That that nothing can separate you from the love of God. No man can pluck you out of my hand. That means you can't pluck yourself out either. So people saying that once saved, always saved is not biblical. Those people need to go read their Bibles. So we see the word of God is very clear: once saved, always saved, you're sealed by the Spirit of God, permanent. Ephesians 4:30, you're sealed by the Spirit of God until the day of redemption. Lest the day go be with the Lord, whether in death or the second coming of Christ. That our own stupidity, our own inabilities do not limit the abilities of Christ. Our sins, our failings, our weaknesses cannot invalidate the sealing of the Spirit of God. When did the prodigal son cease to be a son of the Father? Okay. The baptism of the Holy Ghost has nothing to do with water it says the spirit of god that comes upon you and washes you with the washing of regeneration renewing of the holy ghost the holy spirit of god comes down washes you clean of all your sins though your sins be a scarlet, they should be washed whiter than snow though they be red like crimson they should be washed white like wool okay so jesus is explaining this to them referring back to john chapter 14 15 and 16. when When they therefore were come together, they asked of him saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Again, here's this whole Messiah is a conquering hero that a restored earthly empire thing that the Pharisees and all Israel had thought for so long and misconstruing the actual prophecies of the Messiah. And now, again, they're referring to when the Lord is going to reign as king upon the earth. When is this going to happen? Verse 7, And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. We don't know. That's not for us right now. It's not for us to know these guys. Right now, what we need to keep our minds on in this calling of this appointment of this anointing of this period of this dispensation our job our focus our concentration is the gospel of jesus christ we focus on these other things these other things become now the new focus when that comes enacted when does that become enacted when christ comes so until christ comes you keep your focus and concentration on the gospel of jesus christ now Jesus says, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which your father put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, Pentecost, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Where you you get the sealing of the Spirit of God, and he gives you the powers and the abilities, and you see the spiritual gifts, all these things, for what purpose? Now, this is where a lot of people kind of go off the mark, and this can go into an entirely different study, which we're not going to do right at the moment. But what is the purpose of the spiritual gifts? All spiritual gifts have a very specific purpose, a reason for something. To give you focus, drive, power, ability to do what? What did Jesus say? Shall give you power to do what? Shall come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. To help you and strengthen you in what the Lord has called you to do, to be a witness of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3.15. So others will come and ask you about why you're being different and and to draw them so they could learn about Jesus Christ. It's not about self-satiation. So many people like the Bethel cult in Redding, California are the, the hyper charismatic kenneth copeland kind of thing or these other ministry hyper charismatic pentecostal ministries where they focus on the healings it's all about speaking in tongues to just a self-glorification and self-satiation they miss the point it's not about me it's not about being healthy wealthy rich and powerful joel Osteen christianity it's not about this it's about jesus christ so that the lost would come to christ To strengthen the saints and bring the lost to Christ. About the magnifying glorification of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God. To witness of Jesus Christ, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Jesus didn't die on the cross so you could get a new Mercedes. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not about becoming healthy, wealthy, rich, and powerful. The gospel of Jesus Christ isn't about about becoming so healthy you never get sick. The gospel of Jesus Christ is is about salvation from sin and condemnation, about being free and saved from the wrath of God. Because all have sinned, all are fallen away, all are become corrupt. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we are lost and condemned in our sins. And Jesus Christ, because he so loved us, gave himself for us at the cross, he died in our place, was buried, rose again to, from death to show his power, life and death, and power to give eternal life. says if you believe in me and accept me as your lord god and savior for salvation from your sins you will be saved changed washed clean made new and now go and tell others about this story about this good news that's what it's about to receive power now what is this power this does not mean we become little divine ones kenneth copeland is ridiculous and, and Joyce Myers and Bill Johnson and all the rest of them, Stephen Burdick, Todd, uh, Todd White, and all these others who also say very similar kinds of things. We are not diviners. We do not have divine powers. We are not gods. We are not little gods. We have no powers. It's the power is the Holy Ghost that dwells within us. He speaks through us, he works through us, that he guides us in all things. He teaches us how to pray. He teaches us how to preach. He says, Open the mouth wide, I shall fill. I will give thee the words with which to say in the very same hour. Worry not what to say beforehand. I will teach thee what thou shalt say, and he guides us. He, te- he teaches us what we should do. He is our instructor. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and he'll cause you to be in remembrance of, of everything we're into. I have told you. That's the power. The Spirit of God teaching us, guiding us, empowering us to go and to preach and to teach. He gives us the words. He shows us how to be a witness because, as we spoke about earlier, because we are completely, absolutely incompetent. We are absolutely incompetent. If we were left to our own volition we would we would be damning ourselves in five minutes we are so incompetent we have no power we have no ability we have no wisdom or knowledge it's the knowledge of god the power of god the wisdom of god that all the ability of god holy ghost will come upon you and he will empower you to be witnesses unto me both in jerusalem and in judea and in samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth into all the world into all the world why 1 John, chapter 2, verse 2. 1 John, chapter 2, verse 2. And he is the propitiation, atonement. And he is the atonement for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. also for the sins of the whole world. Why? Why the whole world? 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness but is long-suffering just word not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. So we are witnesses of the power of God of the gospel of Jesus Christ unto everyone in the whole world because God calls all men everywhere to repent. He loves all people all were made in the image of God and Christ is the atonement of all people. And we show the power of God. We show the word of God. We show the conviction of the truth of God in this dark world. We shine as lights, as beacons of light in this dark world. We manifest the light of Christ, the truth of Christ in all things, so that it would draw them and to this light, and they'd want to know, and they get saved. Into all the world. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, He was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So they're all standing around Jesus. They're all standing around Jesus. And as Jesus is talking with them, he just starts ascending. How? He's God. And a cloud received him out of their sight. Interesting. The Lord led them as a cloud in the wilderness, the Shekinah glory cloud. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Two angels are standing there looking at them while while the disciples are staring at the sky, trying to get one last little glimpse of him. And the angels say, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. He will come again. Well, the Lord told them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. How long are we to do this till he comes again the message doesn't change it's the same gospel the same story of the same power of the same lord of the same cross of the same word of the same kingdom of the same god till the lord comes again we keep the same work of the same spirit of the same saints the same church of one faith one heart one mind one spirit one work one focus one concentration one answer for everything thus saith the Lord and we keep the faith we fight the good fight we stay the course till the Lord comes again we take the same torch that the apostles handed down, all down through the ages, all the saints handed it down, the same torch of the same focus, of the same message, of the same thing. handed out. We We take the same torch that the apostles held, and we hand it on to the next generation. They hand it on to the next generation. For how long? For the rest of time. That's what we're called to do. And only the devil, the enemy of God, the arch enemy of the faith would try to make you bored with the christian faith We're try to make you bored with the torch they're trying to make you cast your net somewhere else we try to make you think that you're incapable and you, you don't deserve you shouldn't work for the lord the lord knows your weaknesses and he calls you anyways he knows your failings and he calls calls you anyways and uses you anyways the apostle paul said the things i want to do i can't do and the things i don't want to do i do a wretched man that i am but his grace is sufficient His grace is sufficient. The Lord knows our weaknesses. And the Lord says, I want you to go anyways. But Lord, I'm just going to fail again. I know. I want you to go anyways. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Get up. Keep going. If you fall, wash, rinse, repeat. Keep going. Same faith. Same Lord. Same gospel, same Lord God, Jesus Christ. And as you saw, as you are a witness, as you're a witness, we finished up the gospel of John. You saw it, you read it, you heard it. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus according to the word of the living God? Who is Jesus according to the scriptures of the Lord God Almighty? Who is Jesus according to the word of God? jesus is god jesus is god manifested in the flesh who so loves you he gave himself for you and he saves us by grace through faith by belief alone we take that focus that message into all the world we defend it we preach it we teach it we believe it we hold it we manifest it in everything that we do and everything that you do even in eating and drinking do all to the glory of god it's all to the glory of god the lord god jesus christ as thomas says my lord and my god jesus says in the wilderness that satan is tempting jesus satan's tempting jesus jesus says Temp- not the lord your god Jesus in Matthew 28 says, All hail, and they grab him by the feet and worship him. Jesus forgives sins, accepts worship, claims the name of God, raised the dead, cast out devils, has power for life and death. He gives eternal life. Jesus is God, manifest in the flesh. 1 John 5.20, Jesus Christ is the true God and eternal life. So let's finish up on one verse. There's one verse that summarizes all our study here in the Gospel of John. We'll finish with this first john 520 the writer of the of the gospel of john wrote first second third john and revelation and the and the apostle john who wrote these books wrote this verse in first john chapter 5 verse 20 and we know that the son of god has come and hath given us an understanding That we may know him that is true. These things are written that you might believe. That we might know him that is true. And we are in him that is true. Even in his son Jesus Christ. This is the true God. And eternal life. So there you go folks. That concludes our study, our walkthrough of the gospel of John. Just a simple exposition of the Gospel of John. I hope that you learned a lot from this. And I hope that you'll go back through and rewatch this series. And you'll share this series around to other people. And again, it's we don't use catechism, council, creed, or commentary, or any other thing. It's just purely just what does the Bible say? Just verse by verse by verse is talking about it. And see where else in the Word of God does it talk about this? We use only the Bible. And we learn so much. We learn so much through this. It it took us quite a while to get through it, but praise the Lord, we finished it, and it's not over. It's not over. Go through it again and again and again and again. Keep going through it. Keep reading it. Keep studying it. Keep sharing it. Keep believing it. Keep holding it. Keep defending it. The Word of God. You don't need anything else. We don't need commentaries, creeds, catechisms, councils. We don't need degrees and diplomas or fancy titles. It doesn't matter about any other thing. It just matters. Thus saith God. The Lord. Thus saith the Lord. We don't care about other what other people say, we care what God says. But God hath said, as the scriptures have said. So all scripture is given by inspiration of god and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction and in righteousness that the men of god may be perfect thoroughly furnished to all good works knowing this first that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation for the scriptures came not in old time by the will of men but holy men of god spake are moved by the holy ghost praise the lord all right so with that then god bless you folks God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love His Holy Word. Uh, as well, I just want to make make mention, the reason why there's no Q&A today, we're just finishing this up, is because next week, um, starting Monday afternoon, this coming Monday afternoon, I'm, I'm not going to be here uh, throughout the week. I'm going to be gone. Um, I'll be back on the next weekend on the Friday, Saturday, so next week's friday saturday i'll be back but um we'll see how it goes i i might be able to be here for monday morning but no promises it's just see how it goes uh we'll, we'll see what happens but i should be but we'll see uh but anyways just want to let you know so that's why i want to finish up the gospel of john today so there you go so please make sure you re re-watch this and god bless you god bless all those who love our lord jesus god bless all those who love his holy word hope to see you again folks and as always if i don't see you again I'll see you in the sky. God bless.